Well, hello there and welcome back to the show. Now, if there's one thing that I know for sure, it's that ADHD is complex. It presents differently in every single one of us, so there is no one-size-fits-all solution to managing it. That's why I've created this podcast, to help you find the best possible combination of tools, strategies, and treatment options for you and your family, as well as inspiring stories to keep you going, even when life throws you a curveball, like an ADHD diagnosis, for example. Now, today's interview is a rebroadcast with Dr. Emily King, and the topic, Anxiety in Our Kids, is more relevant than ever. An April 2022 report from the CDC shows that 44% of U.S. teens feel persistent feelings of sadness and hopelessness. That's a huge increase from the reported 26% in 2009 and 37% in 2019. 44%, that is almost half of our, of our teens in the United States. And what about our ADHD teens who are, who are more prone to mood swings and emotional dysregulation? Now, today's guest, Dr. Emily King, is a licensed psychologist and health services provider in private practice in Raleigh, North Carolina, with nearly 20 years of experience helping children and adolescents with anxiety, depression, ADHD, and autism spectrum disorders. She is also the mother of a neurodiverse child, so she's able to provide support from both sides of the table, which I love, and you'll see, you'll, you'll see that in the, uh, in the interview today. Now, during this episode, Dr. Emily and I talk about the anxiety that our kids may be feeling and strategies parents can use to support their children. We talk about what the opposite of anxiety is, and it isn't calm. We talk about how as parents, we have to deal with our own anxiety before we can even help our children deal with theirs. We also talk about meeting our kids where they are rather than where we want them to be. Now, Dr. Emily is brilliant, and the interview is full of gold nuggets. I especially love what she says about anchor points. Now, one thing I wholeheartedly agree with Dr. Emily about is the fact that we have to deal with our own anxiety before we can help our children deal with theirs. That's why I depend on experts like a nervous system educator, Krista Bevan. Krista has created a truly brilliant course to help moms like me and you regulate our nervous systems that tend to run on overdrive with ADHD. Now, if you know you need some help in the emotional regulation area, I'm raising my hand here, um, check out her foundations course. It's designed for what she calls cycle breaker moms, but the content is brilliant for ADHD moms too. I am a course participant and I really love the way Krista teaches. She teaches in a way that my ADHD mind can understand and she provides easy steps to implement what I'm learning into my everyday life. Now, you can find all the deets at bit.ly forward slash VDM dash radical mother dash foundations, or you can find the link in the show notes. And just so you know, I only recommend and allow sponsors that I have personal experience with and Krista and her courses are the real deal. So check out the offer and enjoy the show. And you're listening to the Vision Driven Mom with ADHD podcast with Tracy Nolan Bierman, where we believe that you can have ADHD without ADHD having you. Each week, you'll hear firsthand relatable stories, as well as invaluable tips, tools, and practices for managing overwhelm and using your beautiful, unique mind as a superpower. Motherhood with ADHD is the journey of a lifetime. Let's enjoy the ride together. 
welcome back to the Vision Driven Mom podcast. I am your host, Tracy Nolan Bierman, and today we have Dr. Emily King, and she is a licensed psychologist and health services provider in private practice in Raleigh, North Carolina. She has nearly 20 years of experience working with children and adolescents with anxiety, depression, ADHD, and autism spectrum disorders. Dr. King received her PhD in school psychology from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill and worked as a school psychologist in Cypress Fairbanks Independent School District in Houston, Texas, before returning home to Raleigh in, 20, in 2010. She is passionate about helping parents embrace their parenting journey by taking care of their own mental health and finding the best fit of services for their child's growth and happiness. Dr. King is also a mother to two energetic boys ages seven and 13 years old. Dr. King, welcome. I am so excited to have you on the show today. Thank you so much for having me, Tracy. Yeah, absolutely. Well, tell us a little bit about you and how you how you got to be where you are. You know, Maybe add in, I remember in the beginning of the pandemic, um, you had a, a post, a social media post mm-hmm. that went viral. And so how, just tell us a little bit about your story about how you got here and maybe maybe about that post too. Sure. Okay. So I'm a Raleigh native um, and I was raised by an English teacher mom. So I always um, loved school and I always have multiple teachers and um, in my family and I... Um, didn't have many challenges in school. I think you could probably say I was more of an anxious student who um, tried to overachieve and and have more perfectionistic tendencies that of course, you know, I always am a recovering perfectionist (laughs) to try to try to work those out as an adult, but I was always a good student and loved school, which um, ended up initially me wanting to be a teacher. Mm -hmm. Um, And I wanted to be an English teacher. I love to read and write. Um, And then in college, college, I um, got, you know, advanced into those things and realized I didn't really want to teach literature. I really just loved school and learning. And then I just kind of stumbled on psychology, actually my junior year of college, late in the game. And I thought, okay, wait, this, this is what I want to do. So at that point I was well into being an English major and ended up double majoring in English and psychology. And then discovered school psychology, which was the perfect marriage of helping students, helping teachers, and then collaborating with parents on how students learn. Um, And then so I pursued my school psychology degree, um, and my husband and I moved to Texas for my internship, where in Texas they have um, mental health based in the schools. So I was able to do counseling in the schools with lots of students and get a lot of therapy experience, Um, lots of teacher collaboration, parent collaboration, which I loved because there's a lot about our system that can feel divided, um, that can feel like teachers are not understanding parents' perspectives, parents are not understanding teachers' perspectives. And then I was in a role where I was trying to help everyone remember that we're all on the team of the student. Mm, So I loved that role and did that for five years and um, returned home to Raleigh um, when my um, first son was about two and um, went into private practice because by that time I knew that I wanted to consult with families and um, work with just really complex presentations of emotional behavioral um, 
kids and, and what was um, overwhelming to them. And, and in the schools in North Carolina, school psychologists mainly do testing. So I, um, I just knew that I wanted to have more flexibility in my work. Um, and about that time, um, I was just learning more and more about autism, ADHD, anxiety. I was doing a lot of evaluations and my son was about uh, three and we started to have concerns about his development. Mm. Um, and so I have these parallel journeys of my professional career and then our parenting journey. Um, and my son eventually was diagnosed with autism and, and ADHD and anxiety and just the right. things that go along with things, it. Right. Um, and so over time, um, I definitely learned so much parenting him, you know, and of course, professionally continue to keep up your, you know, your, your professional development, the conferences you go to. So I had, all this stuff I was learning from clients and learning from parents and teachers. But at the same time, I was also experiencing my journey of being on that side of the, the parent side of the IEP meeting. Right. And, right. Um, and then realized that the reason that I was feeling like I could collaborate with teachers is because I had all this experience professionally, mm-hmm. but it's so hard and scary a lot of the time for um, just layman parents to know what to say, know what to do. Um, and so I, I feel like I'm sometimes in this unique position of seeing it from all angles, um, which is, I think, helpful professionally. And I, I'm passionate about helping parents learn how to collaborate best with schools, teachers learn how to collaborate best with kids, and then kids just learning how to, you know, advocate for themselves. So, yeah. you know, in the kind of the realm of um parents, special needs parenting, I think anyone listening that's raising a child that has some sort of extra needs, you have gotten probably pretty good at pivoting. And um, this is something that I saw at the beginning of the pandemic was our our, the parents I work with in my practice, and then I certainly have had this experience with other um, mom friends of, of raising differently wired kids that you try one thing and you think it's going to work, but it doesn't. And then you pivot and do something else. And we're kind of used to that approach. And so I noticed beginning in the pandemic that um, it's almost like parents that were practicing this already thought, okay, well, what now, what do we do now? And um, our, the parents I was working with were even a little more flexible than um, parents I was working with that had never experienced like, what do you mean? My can't ch- my child can't go to school. That just never crossed their mind of what they right. may do. So um, I was thinking through, this was probably back in March, you know, I'm home with my boys. They're jumping all over everything because yeah. it's still kind of cold. And, um, and I just, we were trying to do online stuff. You know, I'm trying to figure out my work. My husband, um, works in IT for the local hospital. So his job was, oh, was I mean, all hands on deck, right. sick, you know, very um, consistent schedule, didn't have much flexibility. So I was the one um, trying to be flexible with my schedule. And I just that one day, that first post that I made on, I think it was, I first posted it on Facebook and then it was on Instagram. And that's when it really caught on with, it just resonated with people because I basically was sitting there thinking, so yeah, this isn't going to work. Like we're, we're trying to do, we're trying to work as, as moms or dads, whoever the, the parent is that's trying to do this flexible schedule. 
our kids are not built to learn this way. First of all, there's a lot of this, as we know now, especially that's not developmentally appropriate with online learning and we're doing Mm -hmm. our best. Um, And I could see like everyone was trying so hard to maintain the same expectations with completely depleted resources. And just from a mental help standpoint, I kind of could see it coming. Like we have got to change our expectations or we, this is not sustainable. So that's kind of where that post came from. And at the end of the day, um, you know, I'm, I'm floor DIR floor time trained. I'm all about relationships and working with kids and families about relationships. And I thought the only way we're going to get through this is just to change our expectations of academic success of maybe Mm -hmm. anything we were hoping to achieve beyond keeping our family stable this year and just maintain our relationships and our kids safety and our own mental health and our kids mental health. Um, And a lot of my work in my sessions with families this year has almost felt like triage. I'm just checking in with families to help everyone maintain. We're not really working on the same goals we would have been working on had I been in the office doing play therapy with kids. So um, that's kind of the long arc story of how I got where I am. But I just, I love, I love teaching and I love helping parents um, feel more confident communicating um, with teachers and vice versa and and helping all that cohesive group work together for the child. Yeah. Yeah. That is beautiful. And that, that you, um, that you, have a child who is autistic and this is what you do, you're able to help parents in in an even greater way. Like you said, it's, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's different when you learn it and then, and then when you experience it. So you're able to Mm -hmm. help the, help the parents. And what I am hearing right now, Dr. King. So I, 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 um, I asked a question in my uh, vision driven moms Facebook group uh, this week and asking about, so, you know, what do you want to hear on the podcast? And it was hands down parenting. Mm -hmm. It was hands down parenting. How do we help our kids with anxiety? You know, how do we help with our kids with um, one of the questions was, how do we help our kids with um, who have high emotional intelligence, like deal with all of Mm -hmm. this? How do we keep them from from being internally driven? I mean, so many questions. And and I don't know. And I, 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 you know, I think about wouldn't it be great if we just write this whole year off mm-hmm. <laughs> academically, you know, because the kids are, there are a lot of families that are struggling. And I, mm-hmm. I know in your community too, that there are a lot of, a lot of, um, a lot of, you know, I have one friend in particular and she's just barely, you know, every once in a while she sticks her head up out of the, you know, out of the hole in the ground and, you know, to breathe. Um yeah, it's been it's been interesting. So what do you, you know, on, on top of everything, how do you help your kids with the anxiety that they're feeling? And like, you know, you said in your in your bio that you help the parents too, because a parents' mental health is huge mm-hmm. for um for you know for for parenting and, and our kids can feel all of that. Right. So what the first thing I want everyone to realize is even if you think you're not showing your anxiety or you think that, oh, I'm, I'm okay. I'm in check. I, I'm emotionally stable. You know, we, we are all, you know, at times during the day, emotionally stable, but then we're also at times stressed. And yeah. so kids feel that um, even our, our pets can feel that, you know, yeah. so there are things about first Take you putting on your oxygen mask, which mm-hmm. is cliche, but it's so true. It it's, is. Ag- it's against our human nature to take care of ourselves before we 
um, take care of our child because we are instinctually mm. wired as mama bear, papa bears. Like oh, it is just great. how we're instinctually wired. So we have to cognitively kind of fight that and say, okay, I'm not in danger. You know, obviously if like a, a bear in the woods is coming at my kid, I'm going to be instinctually wired <laughs> to do something immediately right. that would sacrifice myself over my child. But in this like ongoing situation of, of risk versus benefit of all the decisions we're having to make, we have to recognize that we need to take care of our own stress first, whatever that looks like for us, Mm -hmm. whether that is more sleep or more alone time or more social time in a way we can get it. Um, Every parent is going to be different on what that looks like Um, or, you know, meeting with a therapist or, you know, anything that needs to happen that is your way to de-stress, um, taking care of that first so that you have the energy reserves to then give your child the comfort and the space that they need. So we can't, we can't hold our child's anxiety and stress Mm -hmm. when we are feeling it too. Right. It's like, we need to fill up ourselves with that buffer space of being able to, you know, when we talk about holding space for people Mm -hmm. so that we are available to hold that for our kids. And so anytime parents are feeling themselves more edgy or more jumpy or whatever is kind of your, um, your trigger for noticing that just take a minute to think through, okay, how can I get some space in my day to maybe it's a a cup of tea on the porch. Maybe it's just walking outside, Mm -hmm. um, for 10 minutes, you know, um, to help me have those reserves for today. And also remembering every day is a new day. This is a, t- that is true always, but especially during this time, not only are the needs of the world changing so rapidly, we can't even commit to things because we don't know what's going to be happening in, in a month or two. So right. just wake up today and do what needs to happen today. Yeah. Um, I will also say um, we have to think about anxiety um, as a a lack of trust in what's going to happen. So Mm. in one of my favorite quotes um, um, from that's quoted in the book, um, Uniquely Human, if anyone um, has never read that, it's a wonderful book by Barry Prezant. And um, it's that the opposite of anxiety isn't calm. The opposite Mm. of anxiety is trust. So one thing that's so helpful to remember is this is the first time that kids have looked to us in our lives and we actually don't know what to do. I mean, beyond the fact that we trust the scientists and we trust the doctors and we do have some hope with the vaccine and the timeline six months ago, we definitely didn't know what to do. And it was, um, at least we have a little hope to explain to kids now. Um, but anxiety comes from the space of, um, I don't have control over this, but um, I know my mom or dad knows how to fix it. So just mm. thinking of like a broken bone, you right. know, as parents, we don't know how to set an arm unless we're an orthopedist, but we know what to do. And kids know that we know what to do. So they trust that we have a plan. And so they, they're scared, but they feel less anxious. And so th- why this has been so anxiety provoking is how um, unpredictable it is, how open-ended it is, and that we have to just trust these scientists out there that we don't, you know, can't see um, to help us come up with a medical solution for this. Right. And so focusing on routines and Mm -hmm. what kids can control to just today in their little pocket of the world. So think 
about your child's world from their viewpoint Mm -hmm. and anything that is really beyond their viewpoint, we don't even need to bring that into their realm. So, you know, this was of course much more intense back when we had the election going on and we were trying to shield our kids from political commercials because they sounded stressful. And so now that we're through that, um, even, you know, just the news, and this was true before, but even more now, you know, CNN has like a death count up on the screen all the time. So we need to be cognizant of that and, and notice if that's triggering for our kids or we're, you know, what are our kids seeing throughout the day from their point of view that um, we can filter Mm -hmm. and so that they can feel like they have the most control as they can over their day. So keeping, I call these anchor points. So keeping Mm -hmm. our anchor points in the day really predictable. So basically sleep and wake times, meal times, and then work time and play time, whether Mm -hmm. that's school or chores and then play time, whether that's game nights with the family or, um, you know, social distance or, or virtual play dates with, with kids, but things that can be scheduled mm-hmm. that they can look forward to are beneficial because they expect it to happen. So they, they it's predictable because so much is not predictable mm-hmm. and they also can look forward to it. So their mood is feeling good when they're doing the thing, but then when they're thinking about doing the thing, it also boosts their mood a little bit. So that's the beauty of um, schedules and routines and predictability. Those are all of the details that we can help kids feel some control about right now. Mm -hmm. And this is true all the time, you know, when I work with families, um, and, and this is, I've, I've had some autistic adults explain this to me, that like, uh-huh. this is how we feel all the time, you right. neurotypical people, right. <laughs> you know, that things feel really unpredictable to us. And this is why we're so stressed. And now I feel like non-autistic people are now real because the unpredictability is so high. We're all feeling it. Yeah. Um, and so however much we can make things predictable and expected, and of course that's not going to be true all the time. We can trust that that's the plan. And when we trust a plan or trust that someone we love and care about and is keeping us safe has a plan mm-hmm. that our anxiety goes down a little bit. Oh, love that. I love that. That is a, it's a different perspective or it's a different way than we've, than we've, um, than we understand anxiety, Mm -hmm. but that is so helpful Mm -hmm. that if we can, there are things that we can do Mm -hmm. to help them, you know, in the, in all the chaos and Mm -hmm. all the, the uncertainty that there are things that they can, you know, I mean, and, and even though we're not loving this whole virtual school they do know it is predicting, you know, once we, once we got into the, you know, we're, we're in Wake County, as I know you are too. Mm-hmm. Once we got into the, um, into the predictability of, um, of the way that the school schedule, not, not that, not that it's perfect. Cause it's not, I have right. one who's doing really well with it and one who's not right. Um, but it is predictable, you know, and, and it's different than that we had before where it was, it was, um, it was some, you'd have, this class on these two days and then this class on these two days at different times. And that was just, that was not, mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, and everybody, you know, everybody's doing the best that they can, you know? Right. And I want to add to that, you know, this is actually working for some kids and it's it very much not working for some kids, which right. educators have known all along that not one way to teach 
works for every brain, but this is really highlighting that. And so I'm challenging everyone, especially that I work with that has all kinds of, you know, um, different learning patterns, you know, Mm -hmm. kind of this asynchronous learning development of I'm really good at this subject, but not at this one. Um, Think about what's working and what we actually are learning out of this process. Right. And then you said a a few minutes ago, um, your daughter was getting behind, but I'm challenging also everyone to think behind what we're all, we're all, you know, behind what we would normally be doing had this year been normal. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's not. And so I think what we have to really, um, I, I just hope that maybe out of this, um, come some bigger idea thinking about meaning children where they are, meaning students where they are and they're learning and letting teachers have more flexibility on what they teach. Oh my gosh. Um, The standard curriculum is going to, you know, be interesting (laughs) to see Mm -hmm. what happens with it next year when we all return. There are going to be some kids on grade level and there are going to be some kids who are not. And it's not because they have a learning issue. It's because they have not received consistent instruction and that's okay. We just need to figure it out and meet students where they are um, to, to build them back up. And I've, I've been joking that like, we just, everyone in the world just now needs a gap year, you know, England and Europeans are very good at this and they, it's very normalized culturally for 19 year olds not to go to college and they, they do something. And I thought, Hey, let's just add a year now for everyone. (laughs) And if you, if you graduated 18, great. If you don't, okay. Then it's okay. Uh, But doesn't that, I mean, when you say that, I just, and I really, I believe in that gap year too. I think, you know, back when I was in school and when I was trying to decide what I wanted to do with my life when I was 18 years old, (laughs) and now we know that the brain isn't fully developed until 25, is that right? Right. So so we put all of this pressure on ourselves and our kids to make these decisions that they're not even, they're not fully ready to to make. So I am all into, I love the idea of a gap year. I love mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. I will encourage my kids to do that when, when they get to that age, but I also love that, um, that I like you're giving us permission, Dr. King, you know, giving me permission that it's okay. And behind what, right. Right. You know, and I know I'm not the only, I'm not the only one who's in that place. Like, you know, right. So, but supporting her independence was potentially a pre COVID goal. Right. 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 So a lot of my sixth graders and ninth graders that I'm working with are having the hardest time because they don't know the the school. They don't know the teachers. They don't know the kids necessarily if they've been switched around and, um, and it's all virtual. So it's really hard to introduce them to relationships and routines and things like that. But I agree, you know, any goals that a a sixth grade parent or a ninth grade parent had going into high school, I'd say just put a pause button on those. And if your child is ready to email a teacher, you know, for independence and you're working on that goal, great, go for it. But if they're are some weaknesses in goals that you thought you had for your child, but this whole situation has just um, depleted their energy or their resources, or they're, they're doing their best and this is all they've got, mm-hmm. then it would be okay to not um, work on that until the next year and really support them like you were last year. Or if you're seeing right. any backslide in any skills, um, we're seeing some of that with younger kids mm-hmm. um, just because there's so much stress, then that's okay. You know, and I think a lot of the, um, 
when I say backslide in skills, I mean like some some kids are um, starting to maybe co-sleep again or there have been right. some developmental um, just going backwards in terms of like wanting to cuddle and snuggle and or or toileting or just skills that you've seen that weren't solid before. This is for younger kids that are um, cropping up again. I think that's going to be temporary. I mean, we don't know for sure, but it makes complete sense to me as a clinician that when stress is high, energy is low, and it takes energy for kids to do skills that are not solid yet. So if you have a child who had like just mastered some developmental skill and it's it was kind of teetering on being solid and, and automated, it may be that there's a backslide in that and that's okay. Right, right. And, and I, I love that. You're giving us all permission that it's that it's okay and that right. everything's okay. And I love that you pointed out too that sixth grades, sixth graders and ninth graders mm-hmm. are really having a hard time because mm-hmm. you know, from for one thing, going from element six years of elementary school mm-hmm. to middle school is huge. Mm-hmm. And going from one teacher to right. six teachers all teaching virtually is just it it feels like the gap is too big, right. you know? So, and, and I love that you point, and I, I've thought about that. I have friends who have, well, obviously we have lots of friends who with kids who are in sixth grade now and lots mm-hmm. of friends who have kids in ninth grade and that, that kind of being okay with, you know, I, I really love that gap year. I would love to, to, <laughs> If we could just, you know, worldwide, if we could say, you know what, we're just gonna, we're just gonna bleep this one out. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's okay. Yeah. Dr. King, this has been, this has been fantastic. And I love that. Um, I love that what you talked about, about anxiety um, and that it's all about trust. And when, you know, when I, when I think of it that way, absolutely. Right. Mm-hmm. It, you know, when we feel, when we feel like we trust what, you know, what, what's going to happen, then we feel more at ease. Right. And, and adults, we can trust ourselves, but kids, right. Um, maybe they have a few things they can trust themselves on. Um, but beyond that, they rely on us and their teachers and their other grownups in their life to know a plan and know yeah. what to do. Yeah. Yeah. So exactly. the more steady we can be, the lower their anxiety can be. Yeah. And that's, um, I mean, that's, that's how I, that's how I get into the work that I do mm-hmm. is, uh, because my, my son is a mirror for me and he mm-hmm. keeps me honest. If I am, if I am, anxious or feeling out of sorts or not taking care of myself, I can see it. I can see it in him. And these days he's, he's 13. So he can actually tell me, you know, but back mm-hmm. when he was three, he, um, he, he wasn't able to tell me, but he showed me, he showed mm-hmm. me all of my, all of mm-hmm. my stuff, you know, that was, that mm-hmm. I thought that I was keeping inside, but you know, I love what you said that they, it, it doesn't matter what we say or how we act it's energy, right? It's the right. energy in the home and they can feel it. So, mm-hmm. um, so taking care of yourself first mm-hmm. is beautiful. And it, there's so many gold nuggets in, um, in all of this that you're, that you're sharing with us. And, um, so if there was one thing that you could tell, um, that you could share with a parent that they could do one action step that would be easy that they could do today, that they that would help them, what would that be? I would say coming up with those anchor points for your family. Anchor so points. So thinking mm-hmm. about your family's daily routine and 
if it is kind of all over the place or every, everyone's just kind of roaming the house or doing whatever they want, um, it could be that that is anxiety provoking for kids or for you. Mm-hmm. And whenever we have consistent wake and sleep time, consistent meals, there's more connection, there's more predictability, and there's usually more um, or lower anxiety um, and just and just more um, positive you know, relationships before thinking towards something in the day. And then, then anytime between those anchor points where things go awry, like tech issues with school, or I miss my friend and I can't play with them. If you think about it as we're adding positives and then they're going to be negatives in the day, at least those connection anchor points are there and they're steady and predictable. So it, um, it helps balance out any stressors that can come up. Yeah, I love that. I, anchor points. That's I'm going to use that for now. On. I like that because, and we need the anchor points too. Right? Yes, we, we do. We need because to, we, I mean, especially early in this, I remember talking to families and even my own colleagues. I thought I don't even know what day it is. You yeah, know, right. every day feels the same. We're off of this routine of getting up and driving places and seeing certain people that trigger our memories into mm-hmm. thinking about you know having our mindset where we are that day in terms of. I'm at my office, so I'm on professionally, or I'm in the school building, so I'm paying attention. We've lost those, so we have to create some sort of structure to keep our, um, our just just outsource that energy part of our brain. Because without it, we're constantly thinking about things, and when is this, and what day is it, and what am I doing, and that's exhausting on top of everything else. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think about the the boundaries between. I was a I was on a podcast. uh, a couple months ago, and um, that's a she's a mother of of uh, six kids, right? And so she's 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 interviewing me with, and she's got at least a couple of her kids at the table, right? We're all like they're the, they're 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 the boundaries between work right. and and home and school, and mm-hmm. you know, I mean, my kids are my kids are. Um, we live in a fairly small home. So my kids are, they're doing their schoolwork in their rooms, you know, so, mm-hmm. so that they can focus and concentrate and, but that's where they sleep, you know, and right. that that's where their things are. And it's just a, mm-hmm. it's an interesting, but I love the love the anchor points. And so this is a show about possibility. So can you tell us, uh, tell us a time when in motherhood, when you either achieved something or you um, you overcame something that felt impossible. So as a psychologist mom, this is what comes to mind to me. And it's not just one event. It is an ongoing evolution <laughs> over mm-hmm. time. But it is the fact that I know what I know professionally, yet I cannot always remain emotionally regulated to do <laughs> what I know professionally. Right. And early on as a mom, you know, my son's 13. So I've been a mom for 13 years. Um, oh, I gave myself so much just guilt about that of, right. um, I should know, I should be able to handle this emotionally or when something would be stressful or a behavior would, um, you know, really, I, I would professionally know what to do, but emotionally not be able to implement it. And that mm-hmm. felt impossible to me. Right. Um, and it's something that I think a lot of moms, I, I think I feel it probably more because of my profession, but a lot of moms feel this way. I've read the books. I've listened to this. I, I know what I should do, but I get in the moment and I just can't do it yep. because I'm so overwhelmed. So I always felt like that was an impossible task. And 
you know, it's, it's, I've benefited from talking that through with in therapy over the years. I've benefited from, um, you know, just my husband and I figuring out when to tag team, when one of us feels more emotionally available to tolerate the stress that's happening because parenting is stressful. You know, it's the anyway. (laughs) So, and this goes back to my passion for, we have to take care of ourselves so that we can show up and parent, you know, you can't parent when you're emotionally overwhelmed because you're probably doing something in an interaction with your kids, setting a limit or holding your ground with like, no, we can't really do this thing or teaching a lesson that you're going to get emotion back from them. And you've got to be able to hold space for them and help them process that. That always felt pretty impossible to me, but, and I have to say it's not mastered yet, but Mm -hmm. I certainly um, feel much more capable in setting those boundaries of I'm taking care of myself. So I feel available to do the thing that I think would be helpful for my son in this situation. Um, but also knowing, um, when to ask for help, when to ask an extended family for help, when to, um, step back and let something be independent for him. So he fails and a teacher helps him with that failure if it's an academic thing. So knowing all of those boundaries, um, has, has really helped over the years and, and it's, it's possible, but always a work in progress. Yes. Always a work in progress. And I loved what you said earlier about every day is a new day. Yep. So every day, you know, when, when, when things are feeling impossible and when you're feeling that, and I feel that way too, as a life coach, as mm-hmm. I know this, I know <laughs> that I just, that, that when I'm feeling that way, I should just go for a walk and, you know, take a couple of breaths before, you know, so that I can re- respond instead of react, mm-hmm. but it's, but we're human. I mean, right. no matter how much we know it's, you know, we, it, it's the, okay. And remembering every day is a new day. It's okay. It's okay. Mm-hmm. I can do this. Or it's all going to be okay. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Well, Dr. King, this has been amazing. I have loved, um, I've loved our time together and you drop so many, every time that I've heard you speak, you drop so many gold nuggets that we can actually, you know, that we can use in our, in our lives with our kids. Uh, so how can our listeners um, uh, reach you or get a hold of you? Yes. Yeah, so um, I actually have two websites. I have a website mm-hmm. for my psychology practice at dremilyking.com in Raleigh, North Carolina. And then um, I have a website for all of my online resources um, at parentingonyourownpath.com. So um, on Facebook, it's Parenting on Your Own Path with Dr. Emily King. On Instagram, um, it's just at Emily W. King, PhD. Mm-hmm. And so both of those places, I'm active sharing information, um, as well as you can sign up for my newsletter on my website at parentingonyourempath.com. Um, and I just send a weekly or sometimes it's every two weeks these days yeah. <laughs> of just my favorite things online. It could be um, podcasts or articles Um or just any any resources I have out there that I think are helpful, I always send through my newsletters to get um, just helpful information out to parents beyond my psychology practice. Yeah, perfect, perfect. And you are reaching people. You are. Um, I love what you're doing, and and I I love. There's always something in your Facebook group that or in your Facebook page that I'm um, that I'm always like, oh yeah, I need. Oh yeah, I need to share that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so thank you, thank you, thank you for all that you're doing um, to help uh, parents and kids um, now and always. And thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show. I really appreciate it. It's been thank great. you for having me. Absolutely, thank you. And remember, anything is possible 
even in the midst of motherhood. Goodbye for now. Thank you for listening to the Vision Driven Mom with ADHD podcast. To get started on your Vision Driven Mom journey, go to visiondrivenmomwalk.com to download the Vision Walk audio guide. Join the collective of moms with ADHD moving their bodies and their lives forward and leaving overwhelm behind. Anything is possible, even for the mom with ADHD. Goodbye for now.